Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 185. Back in Florida, after a special weekend in the Dallas area, for those of you that are following on Instagram, you saw what I was up to. And if you're not following there yet, now's as good a time as ever. So go over to Instagram, the back of the range podcast. That's where you find all of my shenanigans, so to speak. I finally got my shot to play Merido Golf Club. I was there for the East-West matches and the Merido Amateur, saw some incredible golf there. Now I finally had my chance to play it. The foursome I was in was comprised of myself, Albert Huddleston, the owner of Merido Golf Club, Lamar Haynes, who is a fantastic friend, rabid supporter of this podcast and all things amateur golf, and Kyle Cootie. You've heard of his boys, I'm sure, Pearson and Parker. Well, they followed in their dad's footsteps and they play at Texas. It was a special day, and since I got done playing, people have been asking me what I thought of the golf course. What do you think of Merido? So I'll just say it right now. Merido is easy. That's right, I said it. Merido is easy. It's easy to forget about the daily grind and truly unplug for a few hours. I don't know what's in the air out there, but it just seemed like the outside world disappeared. It's easy to not care about how fast or slow you might be playing because you're just enjoying the company you're in. Did we stop on a putting green to share a story or two? Yes. Did we grab a drink at the turn? Maybe. Did it matter when we finished? No, it really didn't. It's easy to shoot a big number on a couple of those holes. Oh, my gosh. If you miss short side, forget it. And when we played, it was relatively soft due to all the snow melting. Uh, we definitely did not play the back tees. And I just saw, yeah, that place can make you look silly. It's also easy to make a couple birdies to keep your round going. So uh, it's totally fun, and it is scorable. It's also very, very easy to find smiling faces at Merido. Whether it's Deuce and Callow in the bar, Rachel in the restaurant, Wade and Mark running around, Jenny taking care of things. A lot of great people there. It's always fun to see friends. And it's also easy to bump into some amazing players. After we got done, I was rolling putts with Pearson and Parker Cootie. And Albert was on the putting green as well. So you got the owner of the place just working on his game. And then former NCAA individual champion Braden Thornberry from Ole Miss, who's now playing on the Corn Ferry Tour, he shows up. So it's a pretty special place. There, I said it, Merido is easy, and I look forward to returning very soon. After Merido, it was off to Trinity Forest to cover SMU's home tournament, which they won by 27 shots. Clearly, the mojo is alive and well. Spent time with the boys from Florida Atlantic University. Great bunch of guys, incredible personalities. Had a really good first round, but they struggled coming in. But head coach Ryan Jameson and volunteer assistant Danny Randolph have something special there. You'll be seeing more of that team in the future. Enjoyed working with TCU. Special thanks to their entire team for having me out to cover them with some photo and video content. Next week, I am on the road again, just a short distance up the street from me as I'll be at the Floridian for the Valspar Intercollegiate. You know, I tried to make it down to Houston for the All-America Invitational, but obviously the weather did not cooperate. 
I think we're going to have better luck this coming weekend. Big teams coming to town, Houston, Pepperdine, FSU, Ohio State, Clemson, just to name a few. It's going to be fun. And again, make sure you're following on Instagram. That's where you can find all of the content that I create at these tournaments. So last week, the U.S. Walker Cup team was set. We only have one team in place right now, and they are going to need someone to play against. Word is that the GB&I team should be announced towards the end of March. One of the names that you just might see when the team is announced is my guest on this episode, Angus Flanagan. Angus is currently the number 34th ranked player in the world. Incredible achievement from a kid from Woking, England that decided to play his collegiate golf at the University of Minnesota. How in the world does a kid from England get to Minnesota? The answer and the circumstances of how this happened is absolutely incredible. And remember, I've heard some stories here at the back of the range. So we're going to talk about his collegiate career, the two PGA Tour events that he's played in, and his approach to balancing college life and athletics. Let's get started. Angus, you're at the back of the range. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, man. I mean, I, I feel a little guilty. I'm talking to you, you know, basically, you know, first of March in sunny South Florida, and uh, you are in the fair state of Minnesota where it may or may not be sunny, but I'm guessing the weather is just a tad bit colder. Yeah, it's, uh, we got some, we had some pretty good weather yesterday. We actually were hitting outside and then we got a dumping of snow last night. So the snow melted and then got cold and we got about three inches last night. So it's always fun. I mean, well, this is the, this is the school you chose. We have to dig into how this happened and how uh-huh. you, you knew the weather was coming when you, when you signed. So exactly. as, as most people are picking up, uh, there is a slight accent and it's not from Minnesota. So it is definitely, you're definitely from, from the UK growing yep. up in Woking, England, which is, I mean, of, of I'm sure there is just some sort of a, endless joke of like you know stay woke and woking england that is just got to be something you've heard many times but i can't think of anything creative enough to ask you about that whole reference but growing up in woking england um how do you get into the game of golf it feels like anyone from the uk golf is almost a birthright so was it that way for you yeah it was exactly that for me my dad's a big golfer and i actually live so my house is off the 18th green at Woking Golf Club. So there you go. growing up, always was looking out the window of my parents' room. I was like, oh my, like, I want to be playing golf and everything like that. My dad would come back from golf. And it's always just kind of been in my family. My dad's side of the family are big golfers. Mom doesn't play, um, which is funny considering that I'm really big into it and my dad is. Um, so yeah, basically from birth, I was kind of destined to be a golfer. So were there any other sports that you really got into? Uh, I'm, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids here in the States are really not, at least ones that I've spoken with, they're really not one sport, uh, you know, athletes, they kind of try a lot of different things, whether it's soccer, baseball, basketball, Mm -hmm. was golf pretty much it from where, from when you got into sport? No, not at all. Actually. I, um, I was a big like football player, but I call him soccer player over here. Um, and played a lot of field hockey, um, played rugby, but the problem is I'm not the biggest of guys. So that stopped pretty quickly. <laughs> okay. Um, I played cricket. Um, so I kind of played a bunch of sports growing up, but when I was, when I went to my high school, as you guys call it, senior school, I was 13 years old and I came from a very big football school 
and was a pretty good player there, but went straight to they do teams as in like A team, B team, C team, D team. I went straight to the C team and I was like coming off like being a pretty good player. I was like, this isn't fair. Um <laughs> everyone else was a lot bigger than me. I used to get kind of bullied off the ball. So in the end I kind of chose to play a lot more golf. I played I was pretty good at both. Um but at the being a kid back home, being good at football is you wanna you wanna pursue that. You see all the guys back home and like the Premier League and stuff, but like the NFL here, it's kind of something you want to do. But then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna probably take up golf a bit more seriously as I was getting pretty good. I won a bunch of state things that year and I was like, I had a golf course at my high school actually. I went to boarding school. So I was there Monday to Saturday afternoon and then went home. So we had a golf course and everything just from there really fit into place. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I definitely want to talk about uh, Bradfield is where you went to, yep. to went to school. So if I, you know, not saying this happened, but if I did, you know, call up Dr. Chris Stevens, the headmaster at Bradfield and mm-hmm. asked about a young Angus Flanagan, you know, what was life like for a, a young student at that school? I'm guessing this is kind of similar to maybe the prep high schools in the States. Is is that fair? Would you say? Yes. Yeah. I would say it's very similar to that. There's a couple in Minnesota, like Shattuck. Um, it's a big hockey school, but it's a boarding school. Um, like IMG kind of deal. It's pretty similar to that. Sure. So did you, and going to this school, I'm guessing it's just a lot of golf. It's very, you probably have to grow up pretty quick. You have to learn yeah. how to be pretty self-reliant. So yep. um, did you want to go to this school or, you know, what was kind of the background of going to this? So the background of going to this school, my mom, um, she went to a boarding school as my grandfather was in the army. Um, and he went, my mum went to school, boarding school, and my dad went to a private day school up in Scotland. And I went to a day school back home prior, and my dad was like, Angus has to go to a day school. Um, and my mum was so for me going to a boarding school. And my dad would schedule golf every time I would be looking at a boarding school because he was on making the decision. And he was like, you know what, I don't want him going there, I want him going to a day school because I'm, I'm an only child. Whereas my mom was so for me going to boarding school. So a funny story, actually, the only school that my dad ever looked at, which was a boarding school, was Bradfield College because we had some pretty serious serious rain. So Woking Golf Course in St. George's Hill, where I play, was shut. So my dad couldn't play. So he was like, you know what, I'm going to come. And after my visit to the school, my dad said, yep, yeah, you're going here. I want to." Even he wanted to go back to school because <laughs> the facilities were so good, um, just the whole vibe and everything. So kind of golf having <laughs> canceled a golf game for my dad actually led to me going to my high school which wow. is kind of funny yeah that's that's very fortuitous that that happened that way so you're mentioning the facilities there and i guess this might be i mean i can't speak for everyone that listens to this podcast but when they think of somebody that grows up playing in the uk you know us americans when we think of golf in scotland or, or england we're automatically thinking of Lynx golf. We're thinking of St. Yes. Andrews. We're thinking of Carnoustie. We're thinking of, you know, everything we've seen basically in an open championship, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of Parkland golf, which is yep. basically tree lined and softer. You tell me what golf courses you really grew up playing on. And that will kind of lead me into my next point. I wanted to bring up. So I, I mainly grew up playing Heathland golf courses. So a lot of Heather, um, 
So my courses back home, St. George's Hill, uh, Woking and Sunningdale, those are all Heathland. So we've got this heather, which is absolutely brutal. Um, you hit it in, you have to go look for your ball. It's basically just very penile rock. It's like little bushes. Right. Um, so it's, you kind of learn how to hit fair half fairways pretty quickly growing up. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a different style of golf. But then a lot of the bigger tournaments, big amateur events, um, and like national events are on links courses. So it's always, it's always hard to kind of go from that style where you have to be able to kind of spin the ball, um, hit fairways and stuff. They're a bit softer, um, to then going to play all these links courses where you've got to hit it lower, control the spin and everything like that. So from, First couple of years playing me like national events, I used to very much dislike links golf because I was like, this is so different. Why do they always have a links golf and all of this? So, but I had to grow up pretty quickly. So, so basically what you're saying is that your game as a junior before you went to Minnesota, your game was probably more tailored to American collegiate golf than staying over there in the UK and playing links golf and, and perhaps playing a lot of amateur tournaments over there. Yeah, so I my game was pretty much. I used to. I've always been a smaller stature, um, but mainly I was kind of. I hit it pretty far for my height. I could. My short game was good. And I used to putt the ball well, and playing a lot of courses like inland. I was like, you know what, this is perfect. And then you go to the national events and playing links golf is a lot different. So I would definitely say I was probably more suited for coming over here than someone who played links golf back home and then had to come over here. Sure. Well, you had great success over there. You know, you win. I mean, there's the England boys golf team that you competed mm-hmm. on. You know, you win the, the Karis Trophy, you know, basically, which is, you know, a, a junior, you know, uh, you know, national junior stroke play event. So obviously very successful over there. But, you know, this seems to be a very re- reoccurring question I've been asking lately. I'm talking to international players and asking how they get to the States, whether it's, you know, our, our buddy Julian Perico, who, goes from Lima, Peru to Arkansas or the winner of the, uh, of the Jones cup that you played in Ludwig Aberg mm-hmm. goes from yep. Sweden to Texas tech. So, mm-hmm. um, talk to me how, you know, you end up from in Woking England heading to, to Minnesota. So we were just talking actually kind of about Seminole. That's kind of where it all happened for me was finding out about Minnesota. So I, did you know that Seminole on... is going to be hosting the Walker cup? <laughs> I do. Don't worry about that. That was that was one of the first things I knew actually when I went there. Okay, we'll um, we'll talk about that later if if it comes up. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be a big thing. Uh, we might talk about it, but I'm sorry, I cut you we'll off. We'll see. We'll see. No go worries. Ahead. Okay, go ahead. Um, so the first, so I came on three unofficial visits just to kind of see what college was like. So I went to Liberty, UAB, and then Central Florida, um, just to kind of have a look, um, and. I, I liked it a lot. Um, I didn't really fall in love with any of the schools. Um, but I was, this was prior. I think it was my, I think it may have been 2016. I went or 2017. Anyways, the winter. So I went in December and on my way down, I was playing the South Beach. We stopped up and played at Seminole. Sure. Um, and I met Bob Ford, the head pro there. And they had all this Walker Cup merch, went in the pro shop. Um, and, started talking about schools and he was like, where are you getting recruited by? So I told him I'd just been on three unofficial visits and he was like, have you heard of Minnesota? I was like, well, no. 
Um, <laughs> didn't even know where where it was, to be honest. Right. I didn't I didn't know there was America north of Chicago, but now I know there's a lot more America north of Minneapolis. So uh-huh. it's quite funny how how that changes. But I had never heard of Minnesota prior to meeting Bob. Um, and Bob Ford, he was the mentor for Justin Smith, who now the head, who's the head coach right. when he played. Because um, Justin was a very good am, um, won a national championship for Minnesota, um, and played on played on tour for a while. Um, so he was mentoring uh, Bob Ford was mentoring Justin. So that's kind of how I got in contact with Minnesota. Um, and within a couple of months, uh, I came on a visit to here and an official visit to UNLV in Vegas, and I did it end of January. And it was minus 25 when I got off the flight in Chicago, <laughs> Celsius. And it's funny, you're coming into land and the pilot, because I was flying on British Airways, so a lot of people are British. And the pilot comes on and goes, yeah, it's a bit brisk and it's minus 25. You can feel, we instead of the, flight, the plane dropping, just the mood dropped about uh-huh. a thousand feet. Everyone was like, Ooh. Right, it exactly. was so funny. So we get on this flight up to a little connection flight up to Minneapolis and it's 15 degrees colder. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? Like, this is not fun. Get out of the airport and I chuck on my jacket and I just freeze straight through. And my dad's kind of finding it funny. Like, what are we in for? Right. Get picked up by the coach, go to the hotel. And just as soon as I came to facilities, met the coaches, I just fell in love with the place. And I was like, went on a trip, flew from here to Vegas. And the temperature difference was crazy. It was like 80 degrees. These guys play at Shadow Creek. Is it Shadow, Shadow Creek? Um, um yeah, Vegas. Sure. yeah, I mean I don't know if that's where they play, but the, but yeah, they that's, they, that's, that's, they play there. Okay. So I watched I went there on a on my visit and got to look around there while those guys were playing qualifying and everything. And my dad thought a hundred percent the weather was gonna play a factor. And we get back and I was like, To be honest with you, I want to go to Minnesota. And my dad's like, You sure? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, like I've just really got on really well with the guys. Um, I kept in contact with a couple of them and I just kind of didn't feel the same vibe at UNLV. So I had a, I was a pretty tough choice just because of the weather was probably the main decision sure. stopping me. If this school was a thousand miles south, it would, in my eyes, be a just completely different. I like completely different idea. I would have a hundred percent come here and not even have debated any other schools. Um, but the only thing was the weather and talking to justin now he said to be honest that was the hardest thing to recruit from was the weather oh yeah um and yeah i just as soon as i came here fell in love with it and to be honest i have no regrets now looking at it I'm just finding it so funny because you're playing at Seminole this this storied and historic and very special place Bob Ford who is just an absolute legend in, in, mm-hmm. in the game and he asked you, and I'm guessing you're 17, 18, 19 year, years old, however old you are. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and he's asking you about Minnesota, and you have to look him in the eye and say, "I've never heard of Minnesota." That had to probably be one of the scariest things you had to do right then and there. Yeah, no, it was, and I, it's something I'm never going to forget. My my dad and I looked at each other, and we're like, "Where, where is it?" And we're talking about Hazeltine, and I, of course, I heard of Hazeltine, right. stuff like that, but I didn't really. You see it in the summer and it's perfect. You don't see it when it's under five feet of snow or right. five inches of snow. And it's, it's definitely different, the kind of the winter to the summer, of course. But now looking back at it, it's just kind of a nice break. Sure. I take 
some time off, spend some time in the weight room. Um, and it just kind of gives me like a mental rest from golf. And whereas I have a couple friends who went to Florida and stuff and they burn out and it's sad to see that because they were playing so much golf. So I was kind of like, to be honest, I could use this as an advantage. And in the end, it's definitely worked out. Well, it's an excellent point just brought up because now with, you know, indoor hitting bays and track man and indoor practice facilities, and, and that's just for places that don't have perfect weather, like, you know, a lot of these Southern schools, you mm-hmm. can easily get burnt down and there's always a tournament somewhere to play. in. so definitely something for people listening, whether they're junior golfers or they're playing amateur, they're leading into collegiate, uh, you know, college golf. Keep that in mind. It, it is a real as you said, it is a real possibility to get burnt out by playing too much golf. Mm-hmm, exactly. And it was something I didn't really want to do. I played a bunch of golf back home, but I also in the winter had some time off. I played other sports and stuff like that. So it was, it was definitely a factor in my decision was having some of that time off. And I didn't really know what to do with my time when I was in my time off my freshman year, but it was something that I had to kind of learn, ask the guys on the team. Um, and yeah, I definitely, a lot of lessons learned, even the last two years after my freshman year you're still learning every day how to get better how i can use the facility better and stuff like that so it's it's definitely fun learning while i'm doing it as well you mentioned yeah you mentioned the weight room and i i have to ask this you know this school you know university of minnesota for people here in the states they are definitely immediately thinking of hockey and wrestling Mm -hmm. and football and I'm guessing those are three types of student athletes you don't really want to get in their way when they're in the weight room. What is the most uh, kind of most intimidating thing you've seen from another athlete at Minnesota in the weight room where you realize, yep, I am just a golfer. I am really just a golfer. Um, oh, there's a, there's, to be honest, there's quite a lot of things. We work out, so there's a bunch of different weight rooms. We work out in the basketball area. So my first first like kind of interaction uh was with a guy who was six foot ten and the other guy was over seven feet and you are and, and you are what about five i'm five nine five ten okay. five ten on a good day let's okay. say in golf shoes sure um but when i was i was I actually last night i saw a picture of myself my freshman year with one of my best friends who i live with now reese and there was a good probably couple of inches at least in it. Now there's not too much. I think I've definitely grown a bit, probably a couple of inches, but it was funny just kind of seeing these guys. And I'm like, this is what I'm really in for. (laughs) Um, And I became pretty close to these guys as well. And just kind of seeing them through study hours and study hall. Um, And it's just, that was probably the most intimidating thing. But in the weight room, um, this was back to my freshman year, the wrestlers, they have um it's like a big rope and they have to climb up it and i'm like i can't I, at this point i couldn't even hold my own body weight let alone pull myself up a rope sure so that was definitely probably one thing that would definitely stand out for me what is the most all these see i'm i'm really just fascinated with minnesota right now so i'm pretty much just just going all in on these questions with minnesota but what is the most minnesota thing you've done since you've arrived on campus um uh, and, and I, I I caught my first oh I caught my first fish and that wasn't on it was on a lake but it was a frozen lake so okay. I went ice fishing ice fishing perfect okay yeah okay. that is that's definitely the most that was my first ever fish I did it Thanksgiving my sophomore year 
Um, it was actually in Wisconsin at Thomas Longbella's house. Okay. Um, he's got a couple brothers who are really big into fishing and we would sit in the warmth of their house while we'd see flags go up and as a flag went up, we'd run out there and go reel the fish in. Oh, um, so that was the, that was the first thing I've ever done. I was scared to set foot on a frozen lake, let right. alone go out there and catch a fish. Um, and actually another Minnesota thing I did was my freshman year was driving on a lake, driving on Lake Minnetonka. Uh-huh. Um, the big lake up here. And I remember I was with Reese, um, who was on the team and Evan Long as well, who's from Pennsylvania. And he'd never driven on a lake and we took his Jeep out. And as soon as we got on the lake, we're like kind of edging on and you hear little cracks and uh-huh. then you go on and it's perfect. And it was the, it was probably one of the scariest moments of my life. And now looking back at it now, probably one of the best. So definitely those two things, ice fishing and driving on an ice lake. are two of the most Minnesota things I've ever done. Unreal. Only, only in Minnesota. Uh huh. Exactly. Yeah, you're not going to get those kind of experiences playing at UNLV or playing down in South Florida <laughs> or anything like that. No, exactly. So tell me a little bit about you know you go from these great facilities in Woking and or I'm sorry at, at Bradfield and, and then you come over to um you know you come over to the states. You're at Minnesota and as you said, your coach you know Coach Smith said his biggest um you know hurdle when recruiting is is the weather. So mm-hmm. talk to me about you know, for people listening that whether, you know, they're thinking about going to a school similar climate to Minnesota, whether it's a, you know, D1, D2, what have you, but, you know, they could easily overlook a school just because of what the weather's like. What, um, what kind of facilities do you have so that you can stay sharp and your team can stay sharp to compete, uh, you know, in national collegiate events? So we have, um, it was two years ago we got in here. So my freshman year, we used to go to the Dome. Um, but now we have a facility, the John W. Moody facility. And we have six indoor heat, uh, hitting bays, all heated, of course, because we get into out. Sometimes it's too cold that we can't actually open the shutters. Um, but that's a different story. Okay. Um, we also have a chip. We have a big chipping area and putting green. Um, so we all kind of have – there's a lot of camaraderie on our team, which is good. There's a lot of competitions. Um, and everything like that. We have big weight room. Um, that's in our athletes village, um, with the basketball team. Um, and then we have like a nutrition center and everything. The fun thing about Minnesota is everything's there. We have an athletes village where it's two minute walk from my apartment. I literally, if I wanted to, I could be there all day. I can have, I have study rooms there, tutors, my academic stuff. We have weight room and then all this nutrition stuff. So it's, it's definitely a big thing going to a school like here is because ha- a lot of stuff has to be indoors. Um, sure. And you don't really see that some other Southern schools. Um, you have guys who have indoor heading days, but they don't have the facility we have. Whereas you go s- look at the s- schools up in the North and you look at like Marquette, you look at Illinois, you look at all those schools. We all have very similar practice facilities, which I didn't even think existed. I used to see videos on Instagram prior to getting recruited. And I was like, Oh, that's really cool. I wonder where that is. Yeah. Little did I know it was in snowy Minneapolis or snowy <laughs> Chicago. So it's definitely, definitely something I had to get used to. But now looking, as I say back, it's definitely not a regret coming to a school that was in the North. I was scared at kind of first, but you sit here now and you get that break, which is definitely a big thing. A lot of guys kind of forget about the break because they go, oh, let's go to one of the big schools in the South, play golf every day. But these guys on tour, they probably play four or five events in a row and then they take some time off. They don't 
they don't do golf all the time. They everyone needs a mental break, and that was kind of a big reason why I came here. And the months of like November and December when we get done, I just take some time off, reconnect with friends, reconnect with family, and everything like that. Really glad you're bringing up that point. I think, uh, as I said earlier, it's it's so easy to fall into just over practicing, over playing, and just making golf your life, and that's just not mm-hmm. healthy because you can't no. you can't equate your happiness and value as a person to the score you shoot day to day. You'll go nuts. Exactly. So I I think I got very much like that at some points, and you just kind of sit back and you think there's definitely more to life than golf, yeah. and a lot of times you have a six footer or something and you're worrying about it. There's a lot of, a lot of bigger things, especially nowadays with everything going on. Um, like I haven't been home since January as of last year. So I haven't been home in over a year now. I haven't seen my parents in over a year. So being a student athlete right now, yes, it's great, but it's a lot of, it's a lot tougher than it has been for the last three years, especially my parents used to come over a lot. Um, to events um, and stuff like that. I'd go home for every big break for Christmas and summer, but this year I had to spend Christmas in Florida. I was not complaining at all, but I wasn't with my family. So sure. it's obviously tough and especially not seeing, I've missed my dad's 60th birthday. I've missed my mom's 60th birthday. I probably shouldn't be saying their age, but pretty big things. I missed my 21st birthday as well with them. So pretty three big ages. Um, and I sit there sometimes and I get upset about it, but at the end of the day I have, the support staff here. I have my coaches, my teammates, I have my, I have a, a girlfriend and she helps me through everything as well. So it's definitely, it's definitely nice having that and having that break as well, kind of November and December where I can actually reconnect with everyone back home, friends and stuff like that. It's definitely fun. Instead of just, as we talked about kind of being golf, golf, golf all the time. Sure. No, that's, that's well said. And that's kind of one of those things that people don't realize that here in the States, you know, things are slowly but surely getting back to normal, but there are definitely some, uh, you know, there's some issues in the UK. Well, I wouldn't say there's issues in the UK. It's just how they're handling the pandemic is slightly different than how it's being handled over here. And I know I have have a friend in Liverpool, there have been lockdowns and it's just, it's, it's, it's a different animal over there at times. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's definitely different, especially now. Like a lot of my friends back home, are stuck back home in lockdown and I'm here playing golf um i played pretty much had a full summer schedule um and you see guys and they haven't played in the tournament since probably there's a couple events in the summer but that's about it and it's definitely different and i was planning on going home in the summer but my dad was like to be honest there's really no point like obviously we'd love you to come back and stuff like that but you don't want to get stuck here because of everything that was going on and my dad's actually running um, part of the vaccination back home um, and he kind of knew a lot about it and said don't go back and to be honest it was probably one of the best decisions I've made is to was to stay here in the summer and it was my first summer here and now I just kind of want to stay obviously I want to go back home and see my parents and everything like that but Minnesota summers is nothing better yeah well I'm glad you brought up this summer because you you know I'm looking back at your you know you're a senior now at Minnesota and you've had you know great success as as a collegiate golfer and picked up a couple wins you know you shared a big ten title and you know really have kind of led your team you know I don't know how you really explain it or make any sense out of it but you know this is a summer that everyone you know basically since the middle of March everything has just been basically thrown out the window where 
you know, schedules are, you know, tournaments are canceled and scheduling is, is messed up and you have this really great 2020, you know, medalist at the Western Am. I mean, that, that can be the stopper right there as just the headline mm-hmm. of your summer. But you also go in and, you know, play a PGA Tour event. You win the Minnesota Golf Champions, which gets you this exemption. So mm-hmm. I, I'm going to ask you about that. I'm going to ask you a little about the Western. But I guess, can you, looking back, can you figure out or explain what caused this fantastic streak of play during a time when, you know, how do you even set expectations in the summer of 2020? Um, I, To be honest with you, I can't really say. The first thing my my girlfriend would say it would be her because she was we first kind of started talking and started dating during that and she was okay. like oh your golf's become really good because of that perfect okay um, all right no problem but to, i don't really to be honest with you it's a, a lot of people have asked me that and i just think it was kind of just going through my game was always good um, right. but it was just kind of more of like self-belief of like i belong here um and i think to be honest the best thing for me prior to playing the Western was playing the PGA tour event. Cause I went to the Western, one of the bigger, biggest amateur events in, in the world, if not over here. And to be honest with you, I saw friends and it kind of just felt like not like a nothing event, but definitely not as big as it would have been if I hadn't played a PGA tour event the week prior. Gotcha. So it was definitely fun kind of having that. And again, last week at the Genesis, it was, we go to Sea Island on Thursday. It's probably going to be a very similar thing where it's going to be a different style of golf course, of course. Um, but it's going to feel not like a nothing event, but it will be, I'll be nice and relaxed. I'll see friends from the Big Ten from other schools who I haven't seen in a while since the summer and stuff like that. So it'll definitely be nice to kind of reconnect, as I say, and instead of just thinking about golf um, all the time. And that was kind of the thing in the summer. I had a lot of time in between events where I was at my teammate's house in Wisconsin who lives on a lake, Thomas Longbella. Um, and we would hit balls in the morning and then go out on the lake in the afternoon, um, take out his boat, go fish. And it was just kind of, it was fun having that break. Um, whereas let's just say if I was on campus, I would have been playing golf, probably playing a lot of Call of Duty fortnight so it was nice kind of actually having that mental break from everything and sure kind of being at it with nature almost where i was out on the boat fishing and everything like that so you win this minnesota golf champions event and one of the perks of winning this is getting the exemption into the 3m your first pga tour win and everyone listening to this episode right now realizes that you're pretty much driving the show here. I'm just kind of steering the ship, so to speak. So this is making my job very easy. So I, I greatly appreciate that. But <laughs> no, that's um, but I, I know that I'm guessing there was a time during the uh, uh, trophy presentation where you probably couldn't get any words out. And if, if you did get words out, they'd be completely incoherent because they never bothered to tell you that you were getting into a PGA Tour event until they hand you the trophy. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. So the way that it went about was after I um, had hold hold my part and signed my score and stuff, I had just a couple of like media things to do. And it was kind of everyone was kind of staying away from me. And I was like, okay, like what's going on? And my caddy, who actually Tom, um, the guy from Wisconsin who I stayed with, he was caddying for me and he said, Oh, it's a big surprise for you. I know about it. And so does everyone else, but you don't. And I was like, okay, what does this mean? Um, and I get up there on, uh, on the putting green that they did it. Um, everyone was socially distanced. So it was a lot different. 
um, people wearing masks. So it was kind of, it was weird that, first of all, that. And I was, I had to do a speech and everything, and my mouth was getting a bit, bit dry. And Hollis Kavner, who runs the event for 3M, comes on and talks about my great play and everything at Minnesota and stuff like that. And I would, had signed up for, um, the pre-qualifying for the 3M for the Monday qualifying. So I was thinking maybe I'm just going to get to the pre-qualifying, go straight into the Monday. But he said that I got into the 3M and I had to stand there for about 30 seconds to a minute. And I was thinking, wait, this, the PGA tour event that's in a couple of weeks, like this is, this is surreal. I thought it was a dream. And I kind of sat there and I was, or stood there and I was, I almost wanted to cry because I was like, hang on, this is something I'd always dreamed about as right. a kid, playing on the PGA Tour. Um, and now, obviously, playing in two, it's definitely a dream that is coming true. Obviously, I want to start playing better in them because it's it's definitely different. Um, my I went up there on Sunday um, for the 3M, Sunday prior, and was hitting balls on my own, only one on the range. And Hollis comes up, and then Dustin Johnson comes up. I've heard of him. And is hitting, yeah, and is hitting balls. And I'm thinking, I've watched you on TV since probably eight, <laughs> eight years old. Like, this is so surreal. And I just kind of had to take a step back. And a lot of times at amateur events, I'm on the range doing my own thing. I don't really look at what other people do. But I just kind of stood, stood back and I was like, well, I've got four days to prep, three days to prep. Maybe I can sit here for 20 minutes. And yeah. Um, watch him hit balls and I was just like well this is surreal and then the funny thing was is he's very close with Hollis and Hollis he we kind of meet in the middle and Hollis introduces me and stuff like that so it was definitely funny just being a, if I was 10 years old and someone said 10 years later um, 11 years later you're going to be standing on the range at the 3M Open with Dustin Johnson that would have been, I would have laughed at you and said, that's nonsense. That's definitely not going to happen. So it was kind of cool just seeing, sitting back now, um, after a tough day at school and tough day at golf, you kind of sit there and you go, now I've actually played in a PGA tour event. And it's definitely cool just kind of seeing that. And it's definitely something that I want to do in years to come. I can't imagine what that's like. And then also, I mean, I think you've made kind of jokes about this in previous statements, but you, you know, you're 20 years old, but you look 15. And yeah, no. So I, I was 20, so 21 at the time, okay. but a lot, I did a press conference and I just kind of that night, I went through the comments of getting tagged and everything. And everyone was saying, this kid's 21, more like 12. They got right. the numbers the wrong way around. And I'm right. thinking, Hey, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to prepare for a tournament, not try to get roasted on Twitter. Right, exactly. So um, it was, it's definitely, it's definitely that was kind of the tough part as well, was having a lot of social media stuff to do and something I'd never really done prior. Um, and my phone was blowing up after the state open, it was blowing up. And then at the 3M, it was blowing up even more because my press conference went viral in some cases. I think it was one of the most viewed press conferences at 3M. So it was definitely a cool thing. I'm going to read you a quote that I picked up. Um, this is, let's see, I'll just read it directly. My dad said it's basically a college event that you play in with a couple TV stands around. We've played, mm -hmm. we've played college events before, which have been broadcasted and stuff like that. There's no difference, but it's probably just mm -hmm. a college event with some of the top players in the world playing. Mm -hmm. How how accurate do you still feel uh, that quote is? I mean, that's basically what you were saying before the 3M. 
Um, yeah. How after now you've played two PGA Tour events, um, talk to me a little about what it's like to play in a PGA Tour event as an amateur, and how you know how do you make the adjustment? Um, I think I'm still trying to figure out the adjustment. Obviously, playing after two, I played pretty good in uh, the 3M. I just didn't really hold anything. Um, just kind of nerves got the better of me. And then at the Genesis, I was struggling with a bad shoulder, which was kind of getting in my way. Um, but I think now just, it's definitely different to amateur golf. Um, as I mentioned, like being on the range, um, seeing guys that you've looked up to for the whole of your life. Um, you kind of get wedged in between. I was wedged in between Brooks Kepka and Justin, um, I'm sorry, and Jordan Spieth actually the other day. And this was prior. I actually played a practice round with Jordan Spieth, um, and Alex Noren, um, and Denny McCarthy on the Tuesday. And this was actually on Monday. No, so this was on Tuesday. This was kind of prior to it. And my eyes were wandering. I was like, Oh my God, these are like two of the guys I've looked up to. Same as Dustin Johnson, of course. Right. Um, but it's just funny though. Like you just kind of have to, I have to make sure that I deserve to be there. Um, like kind of the three M was, it was tough because it was obviously a solid field, but there were some very good players playing. And I practiced, I did all my practice rounds with Eric Van Royen. And then on the Wednesday, Eric and I played with Tom Lehman. So it was kind of cool seeing, um, two different ways of playing the game. Eric hits it a long way and stuff like that. Tom Lehman still hits it far for his age, but kind of, puts the ball very well and everything like that. So it was kind of cool seeing that. But I just kind of need to make sure I feel like I deserve to be there instead of being just like another add-on almost. Like I kind of felt right. like 3M. Yeah. Um, you can easily fall just, into just feeling like I'm, I'm just kind of a spectator and I'm just kind of, you know, you know, being, I'm on a field trip for the week. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I've been to events prior as a spectator, but now there's no spectators. So my dad literally said to me a couple of nights prior to it, he said, just think about it. It's a college event with some cameras. And to be honest, that is so spell on. Obviously, it's a college event with some very good players in it. Right. Um, and a different style of golf course. But to be honest, it's definitely different with no spectators, but probably a good thing as well when I sit there and think about it now because I've got two under my belt and the next one is probably going to feel, each one you play in is going to feel less stressful. Like now I tee up in an amateur event. I feel like I can win anything. Whereas sometimes when I tee it up against the pros, I sit there and I think, well, these guys are world number one for a reason. It's definitely a lot harder. Very, very good point. Once you start climbing that ladder, the the rungs below start feeling a lot easier. So I can totally see that when you're going to be playing in college events and amateur events, that's how it's going to feel. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk a little bit about the Genesis. You are actually not the first Gen Genesis showcase winner that has been on the back of the range because I have, mm -hmm. um, I have had Sahith Thagala who, who did benefit from this opportunity as well, just like you did yep. and played mm -hmm. and played at Riviera. So this, you know, just to remind listeners that may not be familiar with this, this is basically an opportunity on a Monday where universities will throw a uh, collegiate player in with um with a pro and then i believe you it was probably a fivesome you played in right you probably had a uh we played so it was a foursome it was two donors and two donors, myself okay. and a pro pj pro who was danny mccarthy right so you it's basically i think what were there about eight or nine of you a collegiate players yeah like there was eight eight this year i think normally there's more but just right. like covid and everything it was kind of restricted 
So basically, you go out on that Monday, and it's just mm-hmm. it's just a shootout. It's a stroke play shootout, and lowest man gets in, and you actually win on the third playoff hole to get into yep. this this PGA Tour event with a pretty long distance. I wouldn't say long distance, but I would say a pretty healthy length of a birdie putt on that third playoff hole. Yep. Uh, safe to say, biggest putt of your life? Uh, yeah, I would definitely say, um, to get into a PGA tour event a bit like that, it was, I stood over it. It was funny. I stood over that pot and we both three putted one because Monday they kind of protect the greens and they had a pin at a very like suspect place, probably the best way of putting it, there you go. um, on, on a slope and we both three putted, um, the first and then Tim made a very good up and down on two after I thought I hit a very good second try into about 25 feet. I just narrowly missed. Um, and I got to the point where I had been, um, I mean, pushing my clubs, but in the playoff, I was like, you know what? I'm going to carry. And I was like, oh, now I've got to go down three, which is going to get further and further away from the clubhouse. And I was like, come on, I've got to birdie this hole. And I left myself about a 20 footer. Um, and then he had a very similar putt prior um, in the morning when we played. And I was like, to be honest, this is just outside right. And I hit this thing and I was like, I've got to be aggressive with it. It was downhill. And I was like, oh no, halfway. I was like, this needs to hit the hole. It needs to bend it a bit more. Otherwise it was going to be at least four feet high. Uh-huh. Um, and luckily at the end, it just narrowly snuck in, hit the back of the hole. And when we were putting the flag back in, I had to fix the back of the hole. It hit it that bad. Oh my God. But like, <laughs> it didn't look too bad on camera, but it was definitely probably going for four or five feet past, but it would have been a dead straight part uphill. That's kind of what I was thinking to myself because a couple of putts prior I'd left short. Um, but it was definitely kind of surreal holding my part. And we had the two donors, um, Chuck and Dave Moody, Justin, my head coach. And a nice thing that Denny did, he came out to watch the playoff. Um, most of the pros, once they get done, they, sign the card and off they go on that day. But then he signed his card, hung around with me, had some food. We watched um, Tim come in and then he was like, I'll come out and watch you in the um, playoffs. So there was a couple pictures of him following me around. So it was definitely cool. He's my new favorite PGA Tour player. I, I would um, say so. I, I would say so. After that, me and him got on very, very well and he helped me around. And even coming up 18, uh, my birdie 17, he had to one under. Even coming up 18, he said, whatever happens, like you deserve to be here. Um, and just that I kind of took into the playoff as yeah. I deserve to be here. I've got the game to do it. Um, so it was definitely a cool moment walking up 18, just me and him kind of standing on that. T- we were, it was after my second shot walking up and I was like, I've seen this on camera before. I haven't seen how big these slopes are. Um, and I silly bogeyed 18, but it was definitely a cool experience just walking up there with Danny, having a chat with him and, I was picking his brain the whole way around and there's some guys that would have kind of not really liked that, but he really enjoyed it. And me and him got on very well and definitely a guy that I'd love to see do well every week now. Well, that's, that's another great benefit of this whole opportunity for collegiate players, whether you win or lose and you get the spot in the tournament, you, you get a, basically a, a, a free lesson, so to speak, mm-hmm. from a, from an existing PGA tour player. And, Sounds mm-hmm. like you really took advantage of it by not just focusing on your own game, but focusing on the opportunity of, of getting into the, getting to speak to Denny McCarthy all day. Yeah, no, exactly. It was it was a surreal moment, and like Denny, I knew a bit about prior, did some research and stuff when I saw, but he was 
great guy and has helped me out a lot. Now, I want to, I'm not sure if you've thought back enough on these two events. You mentioned you didn't play, you know, perfectly, uh, you know, in these two PGA Tour events. And obviously, like you said, you're surrounded by DJ, you're surrounded by guys like, you know, Kepka and Jordan Spieth. And I'm just curious, what, what do you think goes through, or what do you think basically changed for you when you played in these two events? Was it you know, changes in your routine or your breathing or pace. And, you know, the reason I'm asking is it could be something that someone could take into their game that's listening right now, whether they're used to playing just a weekend game with their buddies, but now they have the member, you know, the the club championship coming up or, you Mm -hmm. know, a a junior that plays in their own state, but now they're going to go play in their first AJGA event. What were maybe some of the things that changed for you as you went into this maybe you know, next rung up on the ladder that you didn't handle as well that you will handle better the next time? I think the big thing, I had a chat with Justin about it, it's mainly the distractions that come with it. Um, it's normally you arrive, I normally arrive an hour prior to my tea time. I need 45 minutes to warm up. Um, and you kind of have more, you have the locker room, you see everyone, you have like perfect greens, you kind of want to putt more, you want to chip more and stuff like that. And also the other thing is just having a lot of people texting you on your phone and wishing you well. Um, Obviously it's super nice, but it's a distraction. You don't really have the time to reconnect with everyone. As I said earlier, Um, you have people watching you on the range you have everyone wishing you well um and it's definitely nice to have but it's definitely a distraction and you just have to get used to that um and halfway through your round you have like volunteers being like oh that's the guy that won the showcase like congratulations uh-huh, and everything right. like that which is you're the flavor you don't of the have that yeah. yeah you don't have that at the western or you don't have that in anything else everyone's like oh there's a player let's just say hi to him um and that's probably the biggest thing is just these distractions and these guys on tour do so well with that. Um, they're so in the zone. They know exactly what to do. And that's definitely something I need to sharpen. I've, when I play amateur golf, I'm in my zone, but sometimes I felt when I was playing the Genesis, I was in a couple of different zones and you can't really do that. You get distracted easily. You make a couple of silly mistakes and it's definitely something I need to work on. And I think just through time as I'll be, hopefully the fish and this small fish in this massive pond i'll grow a bit and mature out and definitely that will help me i think just these distractions and at the end of the day it's something that it's definitely a learning experience i woke up to a text from my dad the morning after i missed the car and he said to be honest it's it's such a great experience that you've just had and i was pretty down about it but you sit there and think i played in two pga tour events now and everything's a learning experience as we're talking now everything's i'm still learning um i've never done a podcast before so again this is a learning experience and it's You're doing pretty that's good. kind of what i'm doing pretty good i mean you know <laughs> english isn't your first language we can all tell but other than that you're doing great <laughs> exactly so it's just there's a lot of learning experiences and that's kind of how i take my golf game as well is i'm very open to learning things and Every day is a learning experience for me. I used to be pretty close-minded as a kid. Angus's way was kind of the right way. Ah. Um, but that is something that my dad had to kind of get out of me. And I have to sit there and listen to other people. I kind of like it when other people, like my coach, for example, if I sit down with him, guys on the team, and they'll say things I need to get better at because they can see from an outside perspective 
what I need to improve on because I think I can I putt it well and stuff like that but they can say hey you haven't hold enough putts from 10 to 20 feet you need to go work on that whereas prior I would have sat there and be like oh no my 10 to 20 feet is really good there's just nothing's right. going in but and that's the thing it's just for me everything's more about learning and that's kind of what I need to take those last two PGA Tour events as learning experiences and the next one I play in I'll it's my third one I everyone you play you get bigger I'm a bigger fish and that's something I need to do very well said very interesting answer to that I mean I I you know it's one thing I'm, I'm glad you're taking that away from that, those experiences as opposed to well I just you know didn't hit it good or I just wasn't making putts I mean you could say mm-hmm. that all you know there, there's always that you can say but it sounds like you really processed what these experiences were like and you know obviously there are going to be more professional opportunities for you down the line, but there are still a couple amateur uh, options that are, are, you know, potentially in your future. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're talking now on, on March 1st and, you know, just a little bit more than two months away is the, is the Walker cup. As you mentioned earlier, Seminole golf club, that will be the host uh, uh, facility for the, for the Walker cup. And obviously you're, you know, I don't know when people are going to be listening to this episode, but as of today on March 1st, you're obviously on that short list. You're ranked, I believe the 33rd ranked aimer in the world right now. And, and with all that mm-hmm. you've accomplished. So we're not going to go too far down the line of where you sit on a, you know, watch list and all that nonsense, but clearly this is something that's been on your radar and something that you've uh, looked at uh, as something you'd want to accomplish in your amateur career. Do you remember when you first became aware of what the Walker Cup was? So the first time I was really aware of probably the Walker Cup was, to be honest, was when it really came on my radar was when I was at Seminole. Um, they had a couple things that said Walker Cup 2021. And ever since that, that was my goal because I knew that was going to be my last year of college. Um, and I had a couple of couple of my dad's friends played Walker Cup when they were growing up. Graham Shaw um, as one of my dad's closest friends and grew up playing golf together. He played on a Walker cup. Um, and I saw pictures in the clubhouse where my dad grew up playing golf of Graham and, um, guys playing in the Walker cup. And that was probably the first time I really knew about the Walker cup was probably when I was like 13, 14 years old, kind of growing up playing the game and going up to Scotland where my dad's from. But mainly where it really hit me was probably Seminole. And I was like, if I plan this out perfectly, obviously it's hard to plan the future and everything like that. I would be playing in my last year, Minnesota. Um, I didn't really know Minnesota at the time, but was hoping it was going to be. And I was like, I can play my last year and then graduate and then play the Walker Cup in 2021. And now it's kind of coming more surreal that this is definitely something I'd love to do. And these last three years in college, it's something I've always grown up and wanted to play in is the Walker Cup. And especially after going to Seminole and playing there, I, love that place um definitely that was probably the time to be honest and now thinking about it was being at Seminole was kind of really connecting with the Walker Cup and connecting with Bob and he kind of put that goal out there was we'd love to see you in 2021 so now with 2021 here hopefully in May I can see him again because I was there just prior to Christmas playing for a couple days so that was probably the first time really where I thought about it and you're and you're here in the states, and you're able to play your collegiate events. I mean, obviously, things with COVID have, have changed some events. Obviously, last year that that really everything shut down pretty much at the mm-hmm. uh, middle of March. But 
you're able to play your collegiate events now. You're able to play tournaments like, you know, South Beach and Jones Cup, and you're able to do things like that. But, uh, you know, something that, you know, maybe people aren't aware of is that, yes, there are other players and amateurs on the GB&I shortlist like, like you, but there's also plenty of guys back home that mm-hmm. they really can't get out and play and compete. And I'm sure you have friends back home that are high-level amateurs that, I mean, what are they doing? Do you have you are you close with any of, of them back home? Yeah, so I've I was very close with a lot of guys kind of who are on the list who are back home. Um, but obviously haven't been home in a while, so it's kind of hard to connect with them. But at the Jones Cup, there were a couple of guys who they I think they got travel waivers in um, to come play. So I was talking to them, and they were like, "To be honest, this is my first tournament since like June or whatever before everything went into lockdown." and it's definitely amazing here and that they had to have their clubs um, as they're like elite amateurs or whatever they classify if their clubs let them practice, they're allowed to travel because it's essential travel or whatever. So it's just, it's definitely something I hadn't thought about. I can come to our facility here whenever I want any time in the day, which is definitely a limitation. But as I said earlier, it was definitely a blessing that I didn't go home because with all this COVID stuff, um, definitely made it hard. I had to, it's definitely weird now, kind of the way of the world, everything is face masks, temperature checks. Um, sure. The Jones Cup was the same. I've had to wear face masks, get temperature checked at the gates. And it's just, it's definitely like a new thing. Um, it feels like the new normal now. So it's going to be weird when I'm probably going to be wearing a face mask now for a while. Um, even if it's to stop me from the common cold or the flu, it just feels normal now to wear one. And when I'm in inside, I just tuck it off my, um, if I'm on my own, I just tuck it over my face and move it down onto my chin. So it's, it's definitely something that you just get used to. Yeah, no, you're hundred percent right. Um, well, I'm going to let you get out of here. Uh, you've been great and I really do appreciate the time. I, I just wanted to, to ask you one final one, uh, you know, a couple, couple one final question. I mean, mm-hmm. we've talked about Minnesota here and we've talked about the, the hockey and the wrestling and the football. Um, how's, how's the, the ladies softball team looking? I mean, what, what <laughs> I mean, a lot of, a lot of attitudes on that team, a lot of just, you know, really, you know, strong, you know, strong athletes on that team. I mean, how, mm-hmm. is that one of the, is that one of the teams at Minnesota that, that gets a lot of the press and the attention? I mean, talking about the, the, the softball team. Yeah. So, um, I would definitely say they, get more of my attention than I thought. Uh-huh. Um, my girlfriend's actually on the team. She's a catcher. Is she now? Um, How about that? So they're actually quite, they're playing at the moment actually against um, Indiana. Um, so she is down in Florida right now because of all these Big Ten protocols. They had to fly down there to play Big Ten teams that are on the East Coast. So they play the ones that they can't really drive to. So they played, they played Ohio State, Maryland, and then they're playing um, Indiana right now. Nice. Nice. Well, she's the one, so, ta- yeah. and she's the one taking credit for all of your good play. Uh, yeah, she's definitely helped me through a lot of things. There's times where, if I was on my own, it would have been tough, um, especially with the missing home and everything like that. But it's just nice to have someone that I can talk to about that stuff. Yes, I have teammates, but it's kind of hard sometimes to open up to yeah. your best friends about it all. And she just, she's very easy to talk to and definitely helped me through a lot of things and she takes a lot of the credit for my call so i definitely have to thank her for that (laughs) that's awesome um 
Well, uh, for your first time doing a podcast, Angus, uh, you're doing pretty damn well. So I, I really Thank appreciate, you very much. I, I appreciate you uh, sharing just some information about, you know, you're, you're starting the game. Uh, clearly, you're, you're on the right path. Um, hope to see you in May at Seminole. And I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. No, thank you so much for having me and hope you stay safe and I'll hopefully see you soon. Last time I saw you was the Jones Cup, wasn't it? So. Yeah, it, it was. And, and oh, and before I let you go, what's with all the one-handed finishes at the Jones Cup? What was that all about? Yeah, the one-handed finishes. I haven't haven't played outside in a while, so a lot of times I hit the top and I was like, hang on, why has my club gone through the ground instead of bouncing <laughs> off the ground? So some of them felt pretty weird and it was actually one of the, it was in the last round. Um, I think it was on uh, well, it was on 14 to par five. I saw you pull up in your golf cart and I was hit going for it in two. I had like 257 trying to pump hybrid. And I'm like, please don't one hand this because water's left, water right. I'm like, well, one hand this. And luckily I held on for it for two hands. So it was definitely a good shot. And that was probably the one I remember the most. I hit it to the middle of the green and I looked at you and we started laughing because I think it was the first picture you had where I actually had two hands on the club. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Oh my gosh, so, too funny, too funny. Uh-huh. Well, uh, again, thanks for stopping by. We'll do it again soon, and um, all the best. Thank you so much. You too, and thank you for everything you do for Amateur Golf as well. And there you have it. Special thanks to Angus Flanagan for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Everything you need to know about this podcast can be found at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.